Heavenly Father and Yahweh, thank you for another day of life, and thank you for waking us up another day healthy and strong. Father, I pray as we read through your word tonight that you just give us your understanding, enlarge our hearts to hear your word. Father, we pray that you guide us in the spirit as we listen and read tonight. Father, we thank you for letting us be able to gather here tonight. And Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for dying on the tree for our sins. We pray that we are just guided and moved in every way through you. And we thank you in each and every way. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Through Jesus' name we pray to you, Yahweh, the Elohim of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Amen. 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 All right, I don't have to pray for like 10 more weeks. That's a lot. All right, Leviticus. Yeah, right, Micah. Everybody ready? Yep. No. <clears throat> Too bad. All right, Leviticus chapter 21, starting in verse 1. says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron's sons, the priests, and tell them, A priest is not to make himself ceremonial, ceremonially unclean for a dead person among his relatives, except for his immediate family, his mother, father, son, daughter, or brother. He may make himself unclean for his young unmarried sister and his immediate family. He is not to make himself unclean for those related to him by marriage and so defile himself. Priests may not make bald spots on their heads, shave the edges of their beards, or make gashes on their bodies. They are to be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For they present fire offerings to Yahuwah, the food of their God, and they must be holy. They are not to marry a woman defiled by prostitution. They are not to marry one divorced by her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. You are to consider him holy, since he presents the food of your God. He will be holy to you, because I, Yahuwah, who sets you apart, am holy. If a priest's daughter defiles herself by promiscuity, she defiles her father. She must be burned up. The priest who is highest among his brothers who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and has been ordained to wear the garments, must not dishevel his hair or tear his garments. He must not go near any dead person or make himself unclean even for his father or mother. He must not leave the sanctuary, for he will desecrate the sanctuary for his God, or of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am Yahweh. He is to marry a woman who is a virgin. He is not to marry a widow, a divorced woman, or one defiled by prostitution. He is to marry a virgin from his own people, so that he does not corrupt his bloodline among his people. For I am Yahweh who sets him apart. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Aaron, none of your descendants throughout your generations who has a physical defect is to come near to present the food of his God. No one who has any defect is to come near. No man who is blind, lame, facially disfigured, or deformed. No man who has a broken foot or hand, or who is a hunchback or a dwarf, or, has a, or who has an eye defect, a festering rash, scabs, or a crushed testicle. No descendant of Aaron the priest who has a, a defect is to come near the, to present the fire offering to the Lord. He has a defect and is not to come near to present the food of his God. He may eat the food of his God from what is especially holy, as well as from what is holy. But because he has a defect, he must not go near the curtain or approach the altar. He is not to desecrate my sanctuaries, for I am Yahweh who sets them apart. 
Moses said this to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites. <clears throat> now you're robot. Hey. She must be burned up. With I don't know what you were trying to say. <laughs> What'd you say, Micah? Hopefully, I don't robot again. I don't know. My internet just isn't my work today. Um, if a priest's daughter, if a priest's daughter defiles herself by promiscuity, she defiles her father. She must be burned up. What y'all thought? What y'all thoughts? Y'all think that that promiscuity is? What do y'all think it is? Uh, playing the whore. Yeah. Say, say what? Being a whore. Right. Being a whore how? Physically or against God? I would I would say it's physically. I think it would be okay. Go ahead. This is a strange time to join this meeting. The first thing I hear is being a whore? How? <laughs> is that instructional or advisory or a rebuke? All right. So most translations actually do say whore. Uh, King James being one of them, the International Standard Version says whore. Uh, or actually, it says prostitute, my bad. Um, but yeah, it's to commit adultery. So, Miss Tamara, were you about to say something? About her, Miss Tan. I would say both. Okay. I would say personally, it's um, towards God, because if uh, promiscuity, I would think she would get you know the regular um, stoning for that penalty, right? In the law, I think yeah. if she's doing this, then this in this sense right here, because if you could look at, it, obviously, it could be either or, you know, adultery towards. You know, going after other gods or sleeping with people, I would think it's going after other gods. So, I would say that it's well, both. I wouldn't. I wouldn't just say it's just that. And the reason I say that is because we see this is specifically for priests. This chapter, right? Context mm -hmm. is the priests, but we see commands that are also given elsewhere for mm -hmm. everybody. For example, the marring of the beards. That's mentioned back in 19 for everybody, mm -hmm. all of the children of Israel. But this is specifically for priests. And it's telling you that your your daughter, as a priest, your daughter is not to do these things. She is not to be a prostitute. She is not to, I would say, also go after other gods. If she does do either one of these things, she'd be burned up. Yeah. You see that? See both sides to it. It reminds me of Jeremiah five fourteen, where it says, Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, 
and this people would, and it shall devour them. Mm. I mean, talk about you're talking about the high priest, his daughter. Yeah. Um, that'd be like, I mean, that'd be pretty bad. <laughs> you know, you're at that point. I mean, that'd be pretty bad. What do you, I mean, this actually, this had, she would have to be a grown up or. I want to throw something. I want to throw something in there that I forgot to add to the um, actual flyer. Uh, we'll just read it. It's Luke one, um, based on literally what we just read. Uh, we'll read five through, what about twenty three or so. Um, it says in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a man or a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, having bl lived blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren and because both of them were getting old. When Zechariah was serving with his division of priests in God's presence, he was chosen by lot to go into the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense according to the custom of the priests. And the entire congregation of the people was praying outside at the time when the incense was burned. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of his incense altar. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel told him, Stop being afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to name him John, or Yohanan. You will have great joy, and many people will rejoice at his birth, because he will be great in the Lord's presence. He will never drink wine or any strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. That goes back to number six, Nazarite vow. Um, mm -hmm. He was a Nazarite from birth. Um, he will bring many of Israel's descendants back to the Lord their God. He is the one who will go before the Lord with the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to prepare the people to be ready for the Lord. And then Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this since I am an old man and my wife's my wife is getting older? The angel told him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you to announce this good news to you. But because you did not believe my announcement, which will be fulfilled at all or at its proper time, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day it happens. Meanwhile, the people kept waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed in the sanctuary so long. But when he did come out, he was unable to speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept mo motioning to them, but remained unable to speak. When the days of his service were over, he went home. Um. Yeah. Wow, that was a really good reading. I don't know why I've read that before. I've heard that before, but for for some reason tonight, my spirit must have been just ready to hear what you just read. That was mint. Yeah. Yeah. In verse eighteen of twenty-one, it says, uh, "No man who is blind or lame," which means that he would have been sent home. He would have been unable to. Well. He would have been unable to do the priestly duties in the sanctuary. He would have still been able to, um, you know, partake of the foods and stuff like that, but he would have not have been able to serve in the sanctuary. Interesting. 
I just thought about that while I was reading. Yeah, I was catching this injury read. I was like, the minute he's in Nazarite. Yeah. I didn't realize yeah, yeah. John was in Nazarite until you read that like that. Yeah, there's there that's why I always tell people there's there's two different types of Nazarite. So technically, technically, um you can be a Nazarite from birth. Technically, you can't do a Nazarite vow. Um, at least not properly, because Number six is very explicit that the um, offerings are supposed to be brought to the temple, to the priest, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I never caught that. I really never caught that. I didn't catch it until the other thing you just said until then, as far as he couldn't speak. So, therefore, he would not be able to do the duties. Um yeah, it's pretty good. You think Yeshua was a Nazarite? Yeah, I would. I would. Say, no. Mm, no. No. Then he drink. Yeah. Then he, then he drink. Yeah, he did. I was gonna say. Uh, stipulations in Nazarite vow is you have to abstain from vinegar of wines. You have to abstain from vine. You have to abstain from grapes altogether. Uh, you can't mm. be in the presence of a dead body. Um. And you can't cut your it, hair. I think those are the five stipulations. And he was definitely in the presence of a dead body. Yeah. Lazarus was dead for four days. Yeah. Yep. Well, was he dead? <laughs> well, they said there's if you if you go back to that chapter they were talking about, he was actually the um the Jewish people believe three days after three days you're you're dead. You know, that's when your soul left your body. And it was the fourth day. They made a very clear indication it was the fourth day in, in text. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Because he literally raised him from the dead. I think he was just sleeping. I think he was raised from the dead. I have to go back and look at it, though. I'm I'm being so, smart, Ellie. Because the, oh, the disciples were like, Well, if he's just sleeping, he'll wake up, Master. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was like, he No, says, bro, he's dead. He's freaking dead. I think, it was, I think it was something like he's like, I was glad you're with me. Or I forget how he said, I'm glad you're with me so you would have believed. Or I don't know how they said it. I have to go back and look at it. I, I was listening to it the other day. So Lazarus spent more time in the grave than anybody. Yeah. Mm. Four days. That's right. Yeah. So that Nazarite bow, was that a, was that a lifelong thing or just... The vow is for a period. And I think you typically would set like the period like, like I, Paul, I guess the most most common would be like seven days or something like that. But you can do it for you know, however long. And in fact, if you had broken the Nazarite vow, like say say you said I'm gonna do it for seven days and like on the fourth day all of a sudden somebody dies next to you, you would have to go restart the vow. Until you right. can complete, which means you go to the you go to the priest, you shave your hair, you give it to the priest, you bring the offerings, uh, which I believe is what two turtle doves. I can't recall off the top of my head, but and then you would basically restart, and you would if if it kept happening, you would you would literally just keep restarting until you finished it. 
What about um, later someone with leprosy? Huh? What about someone with leprosy? Could a Nazarite be? Oh, they have to restart then. But they're near someone with leprosy. I I think the stipulation only is the dead body. I don't think it says anything about leprosy. Go check. Okay. Real quick. It's number six for anybody that's listening. Number six. Yes. Yeah, like even verse 9 says If someone suddenly dies near him Defiling his consecrated head of hair He must shave his head on the day of his purification He is to shave it on the seventh day On the eighth day he is to bring Two turtle doves or two young pigeons To the priest at the tent Or at the entrance to the tent of meeting uh, To make atonement on behalf Of the Nazarite since he sinned Because of his corpse On the day he must consecrate his head again he is to rededicate his time of consecration to the Lord and bring a year-old lamb as a restitution offering, but do not count the previous period because his consecrated hair became defiled. Hmm. Also, back in 7, says he is not to defile himself or his father or mother or his brother or sister when they die because they are because the hair consecrated to his God is on his head. He is holy to the Lord during the time of consecration. So he was not, not even his father or mother or sister were to die. He wasn't, and that, that was the only stipulation, I think, for the priests to even be able to go out. Um, we're going to read about that in a minute. That's the only reason why the priest can only go out um, to bury them if it was someone that immediate. So they couldn't even go for their mother or father. Yeah. So he surely couldn't go for Lazarus if he was a Nazarite. Uh, yeah, Paul was doing a Nazarite bow in Acts 21 24. Yep. Shows that sacrifices didn't go away after his shoe was gone. No, they were still going to the temple. Mm -hmm. Yep. No, because one thing that people need to understand is, is putting an end to sacrifices is not a good thing. It's a very, 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 very bad thing. That's why the abomination of desolation is terrible. <laughs> you, you know, makes a promise. And halfway through the, was it seven years? He says, nope, sacrifices are cut off. And that's a bad thing. Which yeah. is what cracks me up when people try to say that, that that Yeshua put an end to the sacrifices. It's like, well, that would put him on par with the abomination of desolation. And that is a <laughs> terrible character, character in the Bible. That's, that's a really good point. <laughs> and that's a really good point. That's, that puts that in the rest. <laughs> oh. <laughs> my goodness that's that's a really good point dang wow. I don't know how you get around that one <laughs> just, there's no way to get around that <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you tiptoeing around that one you gotta do some gymnastics around that question yeah alright um uh... We'll go on to 22. Right. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to deal respectfully with the holy offerings of the Israelites that they have consecrated to me, so that they do not profane my holy name, I am Yahweh. Say to them, If any man from any of your descendants throughout your generations is in the state of uncleanness, yet approaches the holy offerings that the Israelites con consecrate to the Lord, 
that person will be cut off from my presence. I am Yahweh. No man of Aaron's descendants who has a skin disease or a discharge is to eat from the holy offerings until he is clean. Whoever touches anything made unclean by a dead person or by a man who has an emission of semen, or whoever touches any swarming creature that makes him unclean, or any person who makes him unclean, whatever his uncleanness, the man who touches any of these will remain unclean until evening, and is not to eat from the holy offerings unless he has bathed his body with water. When the sun has set, he will become clean, and then he may eat from the holy offerings for that or for that is his food. He must not eat an animal that had died naturally or was mauled by beasts, making himself unclean by it. I am Yahweh. They must keep my instruction or they will be guilty and die because they profane it. I am Yahweh who sets them apart. No one outside a priest's family is to eat the holy offering. A foreigner staying with a priest or a hired hand is not to eat the holy offering. But if a priest purchases someone with his money, that person may eat it and those born in his house may eat his food. If the priest's daughter is married to a man outside a priest's family, she is not to eat from the holy contributions. But if the priest's daughter becomes widowed or divorced, has no children, and returns to her father's house as in her youth, she may share her father's food, but no outsider may share it. If anyone eats a holy offering in error, he must add a fifth to its value and give the holy offering to the priest. The priests must not profane the holy offerings the Israelites give to the Lord by letting the people eat their their holy offerings and having them bear the penalty of restitution. For I am Yahweh who sets them apart. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons and all the Israelites and tell them any man of the house of Israel or of the foreign residents in Israel who presents his offering, whether they present free will gifts or payment of vows to the Lord as burnt offerings must offer an unblemished male from the cattle, sheep, or goats in order to, for you to be accepted. You are not to present anything that has a defect because it will not become or be accepted on your behalf. When a man presents a fellowship sacrifice to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or flock, it has to be unblemished to be acceptable. There must be no defect in it. You are not to present any animal to the Lord that is blind, injured, maimed, or has a running sore, festering rash, or scabs. You must not put any of them on the altar as a fire offering to the Lord. You may sacrifice as a freewill offering any animal from the herd or flock that has an elongated or stunted limb, but it is not acceptable as a vow offering. You are not to present to the Lord anything that has bruised, crushed, torn, or severed testicles. You must not sacrifice them in your land. Neither you nor a foreigner are to present food to your God from any of these animals. They will not be accepted for you because they are deformed and have a defect. The Lord spoke to Moses. When an ox, sheep, or goat is born, it must remain with its mother for seven days. From the eighth day on, it will be acceptable as a gift, a fire offering to the Lord. But you are not to slaughter an animal from the herd or flock on the same day as its young. When you sacrifice a thank offering to the Lord, sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It is to be eaten on the same day. Do not let any of it remain until morning. I am Yahweh. You are to keep my commands and do them. I am Yahweh. You must not profane my holy name. I must be treated as holy among the Israelites. I am Yahweh who set you apart, the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh. I find it interesting back in um, 
verse 10 says, no one outside the priest's family is to eat the holy offering. A foreigner stand with a priest or a hired hand is not to eat the holy offering. But if a priest purchases someone with his money, that person may eat it. It makes me think about how Yeshua, Jesus, purchased us so now that we may eat of the holy offering. He gave his own life. Mm-hmm. But also it's interesting too, the foreigner stain. Uh, the, so you had to be purchased. You had to be brought into, you know, um, just like Abraham's house in order. He had people born of his house and then he had people that were, you know, brought into his house. Like he didn't have them like, oh, I say I'm, I'm messing this all up. He brought people into his home. He was bearing fruit. He might not have had kids, but he was bringing people underneath him. He had 300 servants. Mm-hmm. So I guess he would have. That's... I mean, I know he didn't have the law of Moses at the time, the full law of Moses yet, but he would have, I guess, purchased them. This goes back to um, well, Exodus, really, but um, slaves or servants, whatever you want to call them, it's not, it's it's not a bad thing, Mm-mm. and it's not how um, we see other acts that have went on in in our world. <laughs> there was no abuse. There was no any of that. In fact, if you had a servant, you were to treat him as basically one of your own household. They were clothed, they were fed, they were well taken care of to the point that there was even the option that after, uh, what was it, seven years, if you, Mm -hmm. if the the person wanted to go free, they could go free. But if they wanted to stay, then you would drive an ulcer and they would be yours permanently. Yep, out there here. Why would that even be an option if the person never wanted to stay? (laughs) See, and I honestly today, even today's society, I don't think it's a bad idea because um, if you have someone that's going to feed you, clothe you, give you a home and heck, if you don't have a wife, they'll even give you a wife, you know, you know, to have and you can have kids with that person um, and they will even give you money. They would even give them money pay. Why would you? Like not like that. You're basically living for, for you're just whatever you need me to do that day. I'm gonna go do it. You ain't got no stress of um, worrying about doing this or that. You don't have to worry about your needs being met. Everything's met for you. You just go to work and you go home and enjoy your family. That's what the government tries to do. Yeah, but they're not just in doing it. <laughs> no, try to do. Yeah, they don't. They're doing a terrible job at though. But that's why they need like people self govern. Well, I was going to say okay. that if we're going to compare it to the government, then after seven years, I would really like to just go free. Yeah. <laughs> For real. <laughs> For real. <laughs> Let me just go free. I want a new, I want a new, a new master, please. <laughs> hey, this, offer, this offering that they made back in Leviticus uh, 10, I believe it was 10, yeah, 10, 16 through um, 20, um, Aaron didn't eat the offering. You said 10. Leviticus 10, 16, 20. Yeah. Because he just lost his kids. Ah. 
Yeah, and he didn't eat the offering. Yeah, it was not counted as sin, though. No, it wasn't counted against him. His heart wasn't right. He just lost his kids. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, but would that would that be uh fall under the the uncleanness? Oh no. Uh yeah, actually, because um you had to go bury your child. It was someone close to you. Um, I'm trying to find it. Didn't we just it read was, about? I was say it was the same day, I believe. Yeah. That was the only. That's the only way a priest could go and leave. It was, the bury someone was if it was like immediate family. But they would be defiled at that point in time. Says later Moses inquired about the male goat of the sin offering, but it had already been burned up. He was angry with Eleazar and Ithamar, Aaron's surviving sons, and asked, Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area for it is especially holy? And he has assigned it to you to take away the guilt of the community and make atonement for them before the Lord. Since his blood had or was not brought inside the sanctuary, you should have eaten it in the sanctuary area as I commanded. But Aaron replied to Moses, See, today they presented their sin offering and their burnt offering before the Lord. Since these things happened to me, if I had eaten the sin offering today, would it have been acceptable in the Lord's sight? When Moses heard this, it was acceptable to him. Huh. What verse was that? It was verse, what, 16 going to 19 or 20? Huh. I'm saying what chapter? What well, I mean, what chapter? What, where were you at? I was in some of it. 10. Leviticus ten. Yeah, ten, sixteen to twenty. Last four verses of the chapter. It's interesting how that the priests had to eat um, the meal, like they were carrying the burden, of the, the guilt from the people. I wonder if they ever got tired of eating all of it. I wonder if they're like, like some days they're like, man, y'all gotta stop messing up. I'm tired of eating. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you gotta think, think about how much work they had to put in, though, too. I mean, I wonder, yeah. how, like, what do you I eat today? You... <laughs> hey, five racks of lamb, ribs, and uh, <laughs> we've got a couple cows coming in here. We're gonna need some ribeyes and no. uh, chickens. <laughs> No, I got it. I got it. I got it. And I know this is not what scripture means when it says it, but uh, when, when it talks about the times of fat and the times of lean, that's what it is when they were doing good and when they were doing very, very, very bad. <laughs> the Israelites, or the, the, the Levites got fat when they were doing bad and they got really lean when they were doing good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. They were the cook, man. They were just the, the specialized cooks. Yeah, that was a lot of work too, though, the processing and everything. That had a lot. But it was their portion. Yeah. yeah. All they had to do was minister to the people. Um, the offerings, not, well, not the offerings, not the holy offerings, but uh, some of their portion also went to the widows. And whatnot too. Yeah. 
and then and then it got split with the people who were bringing it too. It was it's basically, I mean, how awesome is that? You got some people that knew more about the Lord and they were trying to share that information with you. And all you had to do is have a fellowship meal with them and bring them something to eat. And they'd cook it for you. So it's what's going to happen at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yep, we've been bought by the priest. That way we can eat the holy offering. Yeah. Yep. And it's, gonna... it's amazing. Doesn't it say no, we're going to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, and feast? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, I can't wait. Can't wait to meet Ezekiel. <laughs> I love that. Like he's my favorite. I want to meet Paul. Paul's probably like this big. I just he strikes me as this big, great, big, burly man. Like huge beard, just built. You know. I see Paul as some like guy that's like barely hanging on by a thread. He's uh got holes on his clothes. He's walking around being beat up everywhere. Yeah, has probably scars all over him. He's just like yep, just rambling, just rambling on. Doesn't know where he's at half the time, but he's just rambling about God. <laughs> that's what kind of makes me think that he would be a, a a bigger guy, like a not like fat, but like built. Yeah. Yeah, I never yeah. thought about like his physique. You get, yeah, he's probably is a big guy. Like that. That's what that <laughs> like he's probably a big dude, you know, and like, man, we just can't kill that guy. <laughs> we beat him, him, him to death. Wilderness. And then we saw him next week. <laughs> yeah. Walking around. They probably have nine lives. Probably his nickname. Oh, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> It's going to be awesome. Matter of fact, I'll see Paul. Like, hey, what's up, Nine Lives? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Talk about some feast days. Let's do it. No, nah, we don't need that. Let's move on. 23. We don't the Lord that, spoke to Moses. Time. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are my appointed times. The times of the Lord that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. These are the Lord's appointed times, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Passover, Pesach, to the Lord comes in the first month at twilight on the 14th day of the month. The festival of unleavened bread to the Lord is on the 15th day of the same month. For seven days, you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you are to hold a sacred assembly. You are not to do any daily work. You are to present a fire offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day, there will be a sacred assembly. You must not do any daily work. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you enter the land that I am giving you and reap, it, reap its harvest, you are to bring the first sheaf of your harvest <clears throat> to the priest. 
he will waive the sheaf offering or, or waive the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. The priest is to waive it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you waive the sheaf, you are to offer a year-old male lamb without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering is to be four quarts of fine flour mixed with oil as a fire offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering will be one quart of wine. You must not eat bread, roasted grain, or any new grain until this very day, and until you have brought the offering to your God. This is to be a permanent statute throughout your generations, wherever you live. You are to count Can seven I... complete weeks. Can we pause You are to count. Yep. Um, so I don't lose what I'm thinking about. It's, it didn't say bring it to your priest right there or bring it to the priest. It just said bring it to your God. Just saying. I agree. So I don't know if y'all got that. <laughs> um, yeah, you are to count. This is where we are now, currently on the count of our calendar. You are to count seven complete weeks, starting from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the presentation offering. You are to count fifty days until the seventh day, or until the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. Bring two loaves of bread from your settlements as a presentation offering, each of them made from four quarts of fine flour, baked with yeast as first fruits to the Lord. You are to present with the bread seven unblemished male lambs, a year old, one Get young on. bull, and, and two rams. Get out. They will be... I'm sorry, I've talked about... <laughs> I, was, I was like, yes, ma'am. I, I don't know what I did, but I'll stop. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot I had come back in and had muted. That was funny. <laughs> All right, uh, it says... Uh, one, one young bull and two rams, they will be a burnt offering to the Lord. With their grain offerings and drink offerings, a fire offering of a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You are also to prepare one male goat as a sin offering and two male lambs a year old as a fellowship sacrifice. The priest will wave the lambs with the bread of first fruits as a presentation offering before the Lord. The bread and the two lambs will be holy to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to make a proclamation and hold a sacred assembly. You are not to do any daily work. This is a permanent statute wherever you live throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I am Yahweh, your God. The Lord spoke to Moses. Tell the Israelites in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you are to have a day of complete rest, commemoration, and joyful shouting, a sacred assembly. You must not do any daily work, but you must present a fire offering to the Lord. The Lord again spoke to Moses. The tenth day of this seventh month is a day of atonement. You are to hold a sacred assembly and practice self-denial. You are to present a fire offering to the Lord. On this particular day, you are not to do any daily work, for it is a day of atonement. You make atonement for yourselves before the Lord your God. If any person does not practice self-denial on this particular day, he must be cut off from his people. 
I will destroy among his people anyone who does any work on this same day. You are not to do any work. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations wherever you live. It will be a Sabbath of complete, complete rest to you, and you must practice self-denial. You are to observe your Sabbath from the evening of the ninth day of the month until the following evening. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites, the festival of booths, or Sukkot, to the Lord begins on the 15th day of this seventh month and continues for seven days. There is to be a sacred assembly on the first day. You are not to do any daily work. You are to present a fire offering to the Lord for seven days. On the eighth day, you are to hold a sacred assembly and present a fire offering to the Lord. It is a solemn gathering. You are not to do any daily work. These are the Lord's appointed times that you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for presenting fire offerings to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its designated day. These are in addition to the offerings for the Lord's Sabbaths, your gifts, all your vow offerings, and your freewill offerings that you give to the Lord. You are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the 15th day of the seventh month for seven days after you have gathered the produce of the land. There will be a complete rest on the first day and a complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day, you are to make or to take the product of majestic trees, palm fronds, bows of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord, your God, for seven days. You are to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord seven days each year. This is a permanent statute for you throughout your generations. You must celebrate it in the seventh month. You are to live in booths for seven days. All of the native born of Israel must live in booths so that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. So Moses declared the Lord's appointed times to the Israelites. Amen. Thank Yahweh for the feast days. Yeah, we're coming up on what, Pentecost. Pentecost next... and if you're on the Zadok, coming up on our, uh, the second quarter. It's uh, the, uh, the 21st of June, which should be a Holy Convocation Day. I wanted to say while ago, y'all, don't forget... Um, there's a second Passover for those that was unclean for the first Passover. Yep. Yeah. That's coming up too. Numbers nine. That's in what ten days or no, uh, it was it was Thursday. It was Thursday. It was Thursday. So I got a question. Do if you have to do the second Passover, do you do unleavened bread then? No. No, the unleavened okay, so, bread they'll be kept at the same time. So you would just do the Passover meal. That night, that's it. Yep. Okay. But aren't you supposed to eat the uh, unleavened bread too? With the Passover meal, yes. Yeah. But for the seven days of the unleavened bread, I'm pretty sure that that's just. I'm pretty sure that can be kept regardless. But for the specific meal, you have to be clean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, if y'all keep keeping the Zadok calendar, we have the the first, the second quarter. So basically going into the summer. Also, um in Genesis um one fourteen, where it said he created the sun, the moon, the stars for times and seasons. That word seasons is feasts. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. I like how the HDSB even says it. Hold on, go real quick. So before he created man, before he even created man, he already had plans for his feasts. Yep. So when Cain and Abel were bringing the first fruits offerings, mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be, it'd be kind of silly for the father to um, not put because the seasons show like how the season, you know, the seasons, whatever the feast days show you how the seasons work, right? So it'd be kind of silly if he didn't. You know, set up how everything was going to run, work, the system, right. whatever, before he put, you know, his people in it. That's like me going out there creating the whole business and then not having it set up completely before I put my people to work. You know, it's like, it's like the first fruits offering, right? Um, all right, you're just coming out of Passover. So I don't believe they, this would be about the time close to, well, they would start harvesting the grain, right? Like, they're not going to harvest it back in, in the, you know, on the eighth day after, you know, after you do the seventh no. day Feast of Unleavened Bread. <laughs> no. but a lot it, is it Passover barley and wheat um, sh- shavuot? Barley and wheat. Barley. Hard. The barley had to be right for Passover, and the wheat is for um Shavuot. Yep, and that would be a new grain offering. It was home. Go back and work. Because I believe that's that's the uh the feast where. Yahweh just drops, you know, just drops the spirit on you. Why does he get the It's not good. No. Just like it, just like when he told his disciples to be in Jerusalem at Pentecost. It's like a renewal of the spirit every year. I'm still trying to figure out exactly. Pentecost was traditionally the um, time when the law was given. Um, like when he came yep. down from the mountain with the two tablets, yep. two tables yeah. and stuff. It's also the time that um they was filled in the upper room with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's okay. like it's like feet unleavened bread gets you prepared for it. You know, where you try to weed out that leaven in your life and that sin and. I got, I got a question oh, for y'all man, concerning the just, spirit. I'll go ahead. Well, I was say, I just thought about something. So, <laughs> you have the first feast where you're removing sin, yeah, from your house, and then you have Pentecost, which is you know traditionally when the law was given, and then when they were filled with the Spirit in Acts two, and then comes uh, the Day of Atonement. It's like <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> which, which the you know the Day of Atonement, like the way that we do it is, we typically go around and we, you know, we do it like a reverse Thanksgiving instead of like I'm thankful for this. It's like this is something that I struggle with. Like it's almost like a confession of sins. 
that's how we did it last year. And I assume we're going to do it the same this year. We just no, go around in circles. Nice. Yeah. You know, like I'm um, like Kim, for example, he's talking about working on his language. Uh, so that would be something that he would bring to the table and say, like, I'm struggling with this. You know what I mean? Um, so it's like you have the the removal of the leaven, which signifies sin, and then you have uh, Pentecost, where you feel the spirit, and then you have the Day of Atonement, where it's like, okay, I have I, I I've I've gotten rid of sins that I'm aware of, but now from this time to this time, I have identified that this is what I'm struggling with. You know what I mean? Yep. And then you go forward to uh the feast of Sukkot, where everybody just well you, you know, got the trumpets and yeah. yeah you have the, the rejoicing yep. uh, it's half it's gladness and yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it's a yearly cycle of trying to perfect yourself to become holy because he is holy it's how he how he cleanses you he he uses those feast days they're so important yeah, I agree with that. How he brings these things to you, to your mind, and you know now we got a, a faithful high priest that makes atonement for us. And how do y'all think? Well, so you had the pouring out of the spirit, right? And Acts too. So obviously, the spirit was there before Acts two, right? The people had the spirit on them before. Even David talked about having the spirit on him. How do y'all think the spirit worked before Acts two? Um, kind of just like when when the prayers or the alms came up before you know for Mary and and Zachariah, you know Gabriel appeared to them, and you know the spirit was dropped there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just see it all. It's all through the whole entire scriptures. Do y'all think that the way it poured out in Acts 2, it's always been going on like that? I think in the Old Testament, it always rested upon them. And yeah, after okay. Acts, it dwelled within them. Okay. I had to go research that out. What I'd about like anyone's, anyone's input on this? Because I, I, I wonder about this because, like, how. <laughs> I haven't wrapped my head around this yet. I have a thought. Holy Spirit dropped on John while he's in the womb. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. While he was in the womb. Right. This is the Spirit in... Okay. Uh, Tim, you said you had something too? Yes. Prepare to bask in the glory of my self-grandeur. Ready? Oh. Just do it, Tim. Do Not it. really, but uh, no. So, um, remember when Yeshua, Yeshua was coming? What did he say? That he came for the lost sheep of Israel, right? And at mm -hmm. that time, the quote-unquote Jews, which I hate to even use that word, but the Yehudi that were, you know, the older brother of the. Okay, so the, so then you have the story of the prodigal son, right? Which is the uh, the parable is actually about. Israel and Judah. Judah being the older brother, Israel being the, the prodigal son. Anyway, um, when Yeshua completed the job, it is finished, 
he had broken down the barrier between the southern two tribes and the northern ten tribes to make um, a, making making the this atonement, this ratification of this covenant, a promise that was supposed to happen at the base of Mount Sinai when they consummated it with the blood, they ratified it with the meal of the elders in Exodus 24, etc. Then they broke blah blah blah. So Yeshua comes comes into this picture and sorts all that out, breaks down the barriers between the southern tribes and the northern tribes, i.e. the two sticks, which I know hasn't ultimately been fulfilled, but the seed has been planted for that that house to be back together because Yahweh does not want 10 individual tribes or two individual houses. He wants one full nation and then um, et cetera. So the spirit coming down on the quote-unquote Gentiles in, in the face of the Yehudi, which proclaimed, they proclaimed themselves as they were the faithful ones, and they would have the spirit, but the spirit was coming down upon all these new people that had uh, confessed, repented, however you want to call that, believed, held faithful, pledged faithfulness, etc., to the Son of Man, Son of God, etc. And then the spirit comes down, they were able to speak the scriptures and the judgment of Yahweh in the languages and I personally think it was the more of a miracle of the hearing than the speaking, but I don't want to argue about it. So I'll, it's fine. It's, I'll, you know, agree on, just... I'll, I'll agree on that. Okay. Yeah. So um, they were speaking this in to show the Yehudi that it wasn't just that Southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the Jews that had the spirit and the law. It was all who came and jumped into the river of life, to, you know, pledge faithfulness to you. Yeshua and both banks needed to repent. The Gentiles needed to repent of their false worship, and the Yehudi needed to repent of their works righteousness, and etc. So this, it, how I see it, was the a physical manifestation of a spiritual truth. That's I, I, that's the short version of what I want to say. I agree with you one hundred percent because that's what happened to me. That's exactly what happened to me. I was I was by myself. My testimony was I was by myself. Proud mm -hmm. out with real tears. Want to know the truth? Just show me. Being a Gentile, boom. Very next day, the word Torah came into my vocabulary. Very next day. I wow, know. that gave me shivers, man. Yeah, I I don't I can't explain it. Like when these people are like, "Well, you can't possibly know anything about Torah." I was like, and then. And then Sean Griffin, like a week later, I was like, oh, that guy, his voice is so monotone. I don't even allow, I don't want to listen to him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then, but he started, you know, I was listening to Rob Skiba back then and all that. And and I was like, oh, he knows Rob Skiba, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll give him a shot, you know. But the very next day, the word Torah came into my vocabulary and I was like, but I'm not Jewish. I'm not, I'm not Judaism. I don't need to know that. I mean, I struggled with it for a while, but the very next day. And I was like, wow. So I, I, feel, like the, I feel like he's going to pull a sheep in when he's the one to pull a sheep in. And there ain't no, you running from it. No, you're not getting away. Like, I don't, when he calls you, you're not going to run from it. You can't run from it when you're called. I, I can't no get away. I can't get I, enough. I, I want to uh, speak. Jonah did. Yeah. And guess what happened? No, he didn't. No, he, didn't. he got whooped. <laughs> He got whooped. And Jonah, like, okay, Jonah was, it. yeah, Jonah was killed and then brought to life, and because he was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. 
I was going to say, he was whooped, and he still was like, all right, I'll go do it now. He was irritated to the end of that book. I know he wrote the book, so clearly he repented or whatever, but he was <laughs> – he, he's a perfect example of what happens when you run. I, I was just – I was mostly tongue-in-cheeking the, the whole thing. I, I love this testimony you guys are throwing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, I want to talk I mean, about uh, what you were talking about with uh, – you, you personally think that it was the hearing that was the miracle rather than the speaking. I agree. And, yes. and, and this is because – um, most people like to say that, like, you know, the gospel was only heard because of this event, but I disagree because you still had people who were quote unquote speaking in tongues and they had to have a translator. The whole point behind all of that, and this is where it, it bears proof that there's no just special, you know, speaking in tongues like Shamalahamala, like they try to talk <laughs> to Pentecostal church. That's not a thing. Because the hearing was, first of all, in their own native tongues. This was like a miraculous, like, oh. And I've even heard it explained. Uh, Brother Matthew was the one that had said it. Um, he said it multiple times. Uh, talking throughout his, his, you know, talking about speaking in tongues and stuff like that. That it was kind of a reversal of uh, the Tower of Babel. Because the hearing was confounded and now it was understood. It was like everybody in one place who spoke many different languages and even had different dialects, you know, basically they spoke with accents. Um, people understood them in their own native tongues. So it was like a reversal of what had been done during the beginning. Uh, but yeah, the whole speaking in tongues and stuff like that, that was still applicable. And they could hear the gospel in that way. And this is why... <laughs> It, it, it really cracks me up when people try to talk about the whole speaking in tongues because it's like that's not what it was about it wasn't just some spiritual like yeah man i can i can speak this magical language that nobody else knows. no you're you're literally the whole point of speaking in tongues is to spread the gospel this is why an interpreter had to be present because if the interpreter was not present how are you speaking the gospel to this individual how are you teaching them about yeshua you can't because they don't know what you're saying. Therefore, you're mm -hmm. speaking into the air. <laughs> yeah, especially when someone starts hitting you with a whole bunch of you know, gibberish, we should all be able to understand you. So they, were, they were confirming what they were, heard, what they were hearing. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So DJ was actually like his dad and then took him to Pentecostal churches and stuff. Churches, I believe, if if you get bit by a snake and die, you don't have true faith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I saw one on TikTok. Churches up in but Kentucky, what? it's Dustin's people up there it's in Kentucky in the mountains. That if they get up there with a snake, copperhead of that, 
and they make it angry and they sit there holding it and let it bite them. And the people say they died. They didn't have real faith. I saw a video on that TikTok about that. Yeah, the guy they must have that. to advertise to their church a lot then. Yeah, I got a new pastor this week. And they'll be like, that's the fifth one in a month. <laughs> Bro, I, uh, so crazy oh, enough, like I, I swear I have memory of going to some kind of crazy church like that when I was little. Like if they were doing like speaking in tongues, like I had dreams about it. So I didn't know dreams. I mean, but I was or somebody took me to a church like that, like when I was little. Because I swear I remember like people holding their hands up and they were holding something and I swear it was snakes and they and they were like it was freaking me out. <laughs> so yeah, I have like if a ever go, memory of something. <laughs> if I ever if I'm ever somewhere and, and I roll up and then someone all of a sudden pulls a copper head out and starts preaching with it, I'm leaving. I don't care. I'm walking right out. It's literally what Yeshua said. He's like, we're not supposed to test God. <laughs> no, like my God. Why would you do this? If the Son of God was like, I'm not going to jump off a mountain for you, Satan, because you're not supposed to test God. That's why Dustin's like, going to ocean. Why are like, other people going, oh, I'm going to handle snakes, and if God truly <laughs> loves me, he'll save me. That's why Dustin won't go in the ocean. I'm going to start ain't got nothing to do with snakes. Like, if, you, if you roll around in poison oak <laughs> and Dude. you break out, you don't, you're not really safe. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, we're going to get back to the text. But second of all, <laughs> Megalodon lives in the ocean. So, are you talking I mean, about Leviathan, Leviathan lives in the ocean. That's what causes Megalodon, earthquakes. Leviathan, same thing. He, I mean, he spins around and causes earthquakes. Yeah. Right? Leviticus yeah. chapter 24. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even a fraction through this portion yet. (laughs) The Lord spoke to Moses, command the Israelites to bring you pure oil from crushed olives for the light in order to keep the lamp burning continually. Aaron is to tend to it. Or is, yeah, is to tend it continually from evening until morning before the Lord outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations. You must continually tend the lamps on the pure Gold lamp stand in the presence of the Lord. Take fine flour and bake it into 12 loaves. Each loaf is to be made with uh, four quarts. Arrange them in two rows, six to a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. Place pure frankincense near each row so that it may may serve as a memorial portion for the bread and a fire offering to the Lord. Bread is to be set out before the Lord every Sabbath day as a perpetual covenant obligation on the behalf or on the part of the Israelites. It belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in a, in a holy place for it is the holiest portion for him from the fire offerings to the Lord. This is a permanent rule. Now the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father was among the Israelites. A fight broke out in the camp between the Israelites or Israelite woman's son and, and an Israelite man. Her son cursed and blasphemed the name 
and they brought him to Moses. His mother's same, uh, name was Shelomith, a daughter of Debri of the tribe of Dan. They put him in custody until the Lord's decision could be made clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Bring the one who has cursed to the outside of the camp and have all who heard him lay their hands on his head. Then have the whole community stone him and tell the Israelites, if anyone curses his God, he will bear the consequences of his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of Yahuwah is to be put to death. The whole community must stone him. If he blasphemes the name, he is to be put to death, whether the foreign resident or the native. If a man kills anyone, he must be put to death. Whoever kills an animal is to make restitution for it, life for life. If any man inflicts a permanent injury on his neighbor, whatever he has done is to be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he inflicted on the person, the same is to be inflicted on him. Whoever kills an animal is to make restitution for it. But whoever kills a person is to be put to death. You are to have the same law for the foreign resident and the native, because I am Yahweh your God. After Moses spoke to the Israelites, they brought the one who had cursed to the outside of the camp and stoned him. So the Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses. Um, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, and wound for wound. Uh, when a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he must let the slave go free in the compensation for his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his male or female slave, he must let the slave go free in compensation for his tooth. So the whole eye for eye thing is often misunderstood. People think that, you know, eye for eye means, you know, if you take out somebody's eye, then you lose an eye. That's not how it's that. that that's not what it means. <laughs> it means that you are to have restitution that is equal to the punishment. And this is something that we typically, you know, even with our judiciary system and, and today's society, this is what we go by. At least if you're in the states, um, yeah, you're you're paid an equal weight for whatever the punishment is, or whatever the penalty, whatever crime you committed. If you steal three hundred dollars from somebody, you would pay the three hundred dollars, and then oftentimes you would pay, um, in addition to that for you know, the loss of the wages or for the suffering or whatever. You get what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, eye for eye is not, well, you stabbed my eye out, so I get to stab your eye out. That's not what that means. <laughs> it's left up to the judge to make the decision. Now for you to take it into your own hands. It has to go before a court. With witnesses, um, yeah, there would be witnesses too, but you guys done uh, looking up words here? Yeah, so I'll check it out. I don't know if it work again. Um, yeah, the it has to be witnesses, and that's why I think today. Um, as far as death penalty goes, I wouldn't personally be okay with it with this justice system because I don't think it's a righteous justice system because there's too much corruption. Um, 
So I think the ultimate final judgment comes up to Yeshua and the Father. That's their place. And heaven and earth are the two witnesses, I believe, that witness against us. Isn't Trump pushing forward the death penalty? Yeah, they're, they've already pushed it in Florida for pedophiles. Um, I think they're pushing it for, I think, uh, uh, drug dealers. I think it's another one they're trying to push it for right now. And so on and so forth. And once you start opening up that door, it starts just going down a line of putting people to death. And I've already seen how the court system works and how they work everything. And I'm sorry, but I want no one in this country judging on who dies because we have terrible judges in place right now. Yeah. Who can say what kind of man's going to be sitting in there in the next term, you know? Right. And yeah, you, you get the wrong judge in there. I mean, there's there's judges that will play around, play games with you. It comes down to money, you know, then because ultimately what rules the court systems right now is money. So if someone pays enough money, you're off, you know. So I, I don't want no part in any of that. That's why I don't agree with capital punishment. Today, now, when Yeshua comes back and all and the rules are established and everything's put back in order, yeah, absolutely. What the Levitical priesthood how it was set up, absolutely. But what we have today, no. No. there's It's not righteous judgment. But yeah, there's something they're trying to push. Death penalty is something... They're trying to get big on in our country right now. I don't know, I'm 50 50 on it. <laughs> you can't, I mean, I, I've I seen. Can't, well, yeah. because I can't, I can't say that somebody's not going to make a righteous judgment. That would be unrighteous of me to say. That would be bearing false witness. I can't just look at a guy and say, well, you're not going to make a righteous judgment. I don't know that. And it could be through divine revelation that they do make a righteous judgment. So I can't make that call. Do I necessarily think that? you know, righteous deeds do go, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like through the, through the court systems, oftentimes it's no, <laughs> but I can't say that, oh, just cause this judge is on a, a, a you know, throne or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be righteous or unrighteous. It could go 50, 50. The person yeah, could make a I'm just talking call. About... The person could 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 not make a just call. And I know this from experience because uh I moved a guy not to go on well actually I guess I get to go on a tangent for a minute. <laughs> uh I moved a guy in, in Illinois one time in Chicago. Um he was a judge. I moved him from Kentucky to Chicago and uh or not a judge, a lawyer. Um and he was telling me about this case where he had uh um, basically he had saw the outcome of it over the news like you know him and his wife were watching and uh, like the person had like got to go free or whatever and he was telling his wife like if only you knew like how close that man's life was and then he began to tell her the same thing that he told us and he said the the reason I told my wife that is because I went and played golf with them and the uh, uh, prosecuting attorney and the judge literally said, if I make this next putt, the man goes free. If I do not, then the man dies. Mm -hmm. 
So I understand what you're saying, but I also, on the same token, I can't sit here and say that an individual would, you know, just automatically because they're judge in today's society would not make a righteous judgment. That would be bearing false witness. I can't do that because I'm talking about is where people have made righteous judgments. I'm talking about as a court system. I'm talking about the court system as a whole is it's corrupted. It's, it's been corrupted. If you go look at our laws, there's laws that can cancel out this law. A lot of cancels out that law. It doesn't matter. Like the way we have our law system set up, there's loopholes around everything. I mean, there's so much stuff that they can do. I, I just, the way that our system's set up, I don't want to be judged according to the system or anyone else judged according to the system. The people themselves might, there might be good people in place. There's good people in power everywhere and there's bad people in power everywhere. But as far as the system goes, it's broken and it doesn't need to be played out and judging people's lives. Actually, Micah, the system is actually set up for the most, in, I would say because from taking criminal justice, the system's set up in a, the most righteous way that it can be outside of the kingdom. It's that people take advantage of it. But the way that it's set up is so that innocent people don't get convicted. And so that's why it looks like there's loopholes to get out of crime. But what it is, it's so that without a shadow of a doubt, the guilty, you know, goes and get punished but we know like human flaw happens and innocent people end up in prison and everything this is why like i've told people this is why our, our court system needs to operate off of two or more witnesses instead of having this whole like you know um oh my gosh, circumstantial evidence and stuff like that i don't think anyone should be convicted of like capital offenses and stuff off of like circumstantial evidence um, and also, we have juries, not just for most capital crimes and things. A judge isn't going to make he. I mean, unless the person, the person themselves, can choose to go without a jury. But you have the right, set up by our constitution, to have a jury of your peers to judge you, and you can choose if you want to forego that jury if you feel like your chances are better with the judge. And so that just depends. Man, well, I see them trying to lock uh, my friend up right now when he's innocent. So trying to take him away from his family right now when he's innocent. And he's fighting for his life right now in courts. And he's stressed out day and night. So I would say it's broken. I mean, that's the fall world that we live in. And I'm sure even with the Levitical priesthood before, you know, I'm sure there were times where it was hard because you're, you're men, human men judging other humans. And so there's human error going to happen. You know, it's not well, going to be flawless until they, we have the kingdom. Then they have the spirit. Um, if you go back and you'll see that the spirit was actually put on Moses. And then he had a certain amount of individuals. That the rest of the spirit was put on them to make the righteous judgments. Um, Huh? What about after those people were gone? I would believe that it was passed down to the Levites. I, I would believe things were passed down, but I think that's why Yeshua came. He took authority away from everybody because we were so corrupt. He took all rule and authority from the people. 
Yeah, because the priesthood. He gave to his disciples to go make disciples. Yeah. Yeah. But I would just say, like, for me, because I've been through criminal justice and I've been on both sides. I've been a perpetrator and I've been a victim of crime, both sides. I would say, I don't think I would want to have to pay to keep up a criminal for the rest of their life after they've done something to me. Like, if they don't. You know, say something bad happens and someone takes the life of someone that I love. Isn't it punishing me to have to know that my tax money is going to keep this person in a warm, cushy cell getting three hots and a cot for the rest of their life? Like you're punishing the victim at that point. I, mean, I think there's there's places that places they could put people where they don't want it wouldn't take much military to really or much people to really watch over them. We have prisons. (laughs) They they literally, I mean, it's not a good system. Like, to have it sucks, it drains the system. And I think that's why there's no, I don't see prisons in scripture because it's the drain of the system. And it hurts victims because the victims are the ones who have to pay to keep that prison up. I I mean, we could privatize prisons, and that would be great. I don't necessarily agree with the idea of prisons either, but that's a whole other topic, um, especially when you're talking about petty things or something like that, because like, say somebody steals something, instead of sentencing them to prison, they would they should go work off their debt to the person that yeah. they stole. But that's a whole other topic. But I'll say it's this in regards to the movie. eye for an eye. <laughs> I'll say this in regards to the eye for an eye. Um, if you know, you want to talk about like sentencing somebody to death. If somebody comes to your home to assault you, you know, <laughs> if 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 you wake up in the middle of the night and you know you're thirsty and you're walking through the house in your underwear and you see somebody outside the house with a firearm and they're approaching your house, you know, to intend to do you harm or whatever, <laughs> at that point, that person's life is in my hands. I'm going to protect my household. And at that point, it is eye for an eye. You intend to do me harm, and that's the end of that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not just gonna stand, I'm not going to stand by until you kick my door in and put the gun in my face until I react. At that point, you're going to get put down before you enter my house because my life is valuable, too. And you decided that your life was not valuable by stepping foot on my property in order to do me harm. But I thought Jesus was a pacifist. But that's what I'm saying. That is that is still (laughs) eye for an eye. At that point, at that point, it's not even, you know, the world's justice system or anything. At that point, I am judge, jury, and executioner. At that point, each and every one of us are. Justin, you're supposed to let those people sleep in your home and, like, take your stuff because they're in need. No. That's the beautiful thing about America, because this is not like other countries. All these people want to make these arguments that, well, other countries have guns, too, and and you don't see people killing and doing that. That's because their Second Amendment doesn't exist. They don't even have firearms for protection. Go look up. You can look this up right now. How many people have gotten in trouble for defending themselves with the firearms that they own in other countries? 
Specifically, right. look at Canada. There was a guy that just got criminally persecuted because somebody stabbed him in his sleep, and he got up and stabbed that guy, and he died. And he is in trouble for it right now because he was not, you know, it was looked at as an unjustified murder. I'm sorry, but if you stab me in my sleep, you're going to die if I have not died. I mean, there are there are cases um, here in America, sadly enough, um, where they've taken away, like, I think it's eminent domain and stuff, to where, like, criminals have sued victims for injuries that they've gotten from, like, breaking into their home. And I think it was Texas, because they have the whole influx of people from California coming there. Um, they were trying to take away eminent domain to where, like, you couldn't defend yourself in your own home. If someone broke in, like, you couldn't harm them. Yeah. They were asked if we would um, elaborate on Matthew 539. Well, I was going to say, if you read the chat, I I did kind of. I'll I'll speak it aloud to everybody, though. I think the key thing in Matthew 539 um, are... Yeah, starting in 38. He says, you have heard it said. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The context is not the law itself. It's talking about the the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. He's not going against eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. He's going against their interpretations of it. I tell you not to resist an evildoer. On the contrary, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. If anyone stews you... Or, tr- or wants to sue you to take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go two miles. Give to the person who asks for something and do not turn away from the presence who wants to borrow something for you. Nothing in this nullifies what we just read. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, that still stands to this day. That's still a just and holy law. If you, and, and that's why I wanted to stress the, 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 idea that it's not just a literal eye for an eye if somebody gouges out your eye that doesn't mean that you get to go gouge out their eye that's not how that works uh, i think the law specifically states that you would go and you would like if say you broke somebody's leg whether it be an accident or whatever if that person was bedridden you would compensate their time lost from work that is a just eye for an eye that it's it's equal weights that's the whole point. That's why it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's on the same level of payment. So if this individual is out of work and he has to provide for his family, and now you can... Jimmy's drawing on the screen. Uh, <laughs> I think he's going to draw somebody's eye. Got yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> you, uh, you would pay back like an equal weight. If you cause that person not to be able to provide for his family, now it is your charge to provide for that person's family. You have taken away their means to prepare or provide for their family, so it is now your responsibility to make sure that that person is taken care of as well as as the people in his house. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That doesn't necessarily mean if I knock out your tooth that you get to knock out my tooth. How does that solve anything? Did you see her reply? Um, yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. So obviously we know Yeshua is not speaking against the father's law. And I was wondering, like, say the neighbor came over and stole some of my property legally and lawfully by his law. 
I'm I'm allowed to seek retribution, right? Like, hey, you owe me this. But yeah. is Yushua also reminding us like you also have a choice in that in that time to show mercy? Romans twelve. Does that make sense? It, uh, if you look at Romans 12, that's basically what you're talking about. You got a specific verse, I'll read it. I mean, I'm trying to be kind of like, uh, I guess you could start in 14, because it's talking about bless those who persecute you. Um, I can read it if you want. I'm already there. Well, I, I am too. That's what I was asking. <laughs> I mean, go ahead. You go for it. Uh, bless those who persecute you. Keep on blessing them and never curse them. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Cry with those who are crying. Live in harmony with each other. Do not be arrogant, but associate with humble people. Do not think that you are wiser than you really are. Do not pay anyone back evil for evil, but focus your thoughts on what is right in the sight of all the people. I think that is a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, focus um, on possible. righteous judgment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Focus on righteous judgment. I mean, I agree with that. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live in peace with all people. Do not take revenge, dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will pay them back, declares the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. If you do this, you will pile burning coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. I've told people this before in the past when I've been, um, like people have come at me um, and they're like, well, why does God allow people to rape young children or do, you know, all the, you know, straw man arguments? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, at some point, they will pay for what they've done. They will stand before a righteous God and they will face judgment for what they've done. And I'm okay with it. Like I can live if if something wrong is done to me, like I know that one day God's gonna handle it. Mm -hmm. So I have a hope. Like I don't need to like live the rest of my life in anger and bitterness at that person. I can forgive them and Leave it in God's hands. He'll take care of it. I pray that they repent. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately what we want to see. Um, someone repent and turn away. Mm -hmm. It might have been a casualty on of your part, but hopefully they repent of it. That's the only way they can be forgiven is if they repent <laughs> and turn yeah. back. There was a there was, it was recently during like all the BLM stuff, there was a um, there was a court case where oh, it's where they um, I think the cops came in, or the lady who shot the young man or something, he came into her apartment on an accident or something, and like she shot him um, and his family, like his brother or whatever, like hugged her and told her like she he did not hold like anything against her that he loved her and he prayed that she would have peace and I mean it was an accident overall but um I think she came into his house and she thought it was hers and she shot him and uh like it was beautiful to watch like they're like in a courtroom and 
he's addressing her and he like hugs her and I'm like how beautiful is that like this person took the life of someone you love but you're able to show forgiveness and mercy on them you know and mm-hmm. hope that they live in peace there was a guy there was actually a father that got up there I think I believe it was a father to son the guy that killed the son I believe he told him he said you know I forgive you and um, he told him, I said, I hold nothing against you. I think he even asked, you know, prayed, he repent. And you could see it touched the guy that, that killed his son. He was crying at that point, you know. That could have just changed that whole person's life around. Yeah. You know, he might have murdered his son, but he might repent and come to the father and be saved. I have, like, had this conversation with CJ. It was actually, like, when we first come to Torah. Um, like, I struggled with the thought of, like, taking the life of someone who broke into our home. You know, I was like, I don't know if I could do that. I was like, or if I should do that, I was like, because I know my belief. I was like, this person obviously probably doesn't share that. I was like, and if I take their life, like I've just like robbed them of a chance to repent. I'm like, so, <laughs> like maybe it would be better to let them take my life than them, me take theirs. I don't know. It was like a whole like thing. I was like contemplating it for I think months. It was crazy. Like, but it makes you wonder. Like, if you're in that situation, like I want to defend my like I would defend my children. But I've often are, thought about that. Like, if I'm, I'm like I don't know if I could. I shot my goat, and that that was hard. I don't know if I could shoot a person. <laughs> I, I've often thought about um. If if it was my like for instance like when I'm a, when I have my kids with me and I go to Walmart I'm gonna have my gun on me but there's a lot of times I'll walk in places by myself without my gun because I don't I don't like I don't know it's different when I have my kids with me with my wife I want to protect them but ultimately if someone wants my life that bad enough sometimes I think about it, I'm like I mean I want to protect you know I don't know, it's that's it's a hard situation. Mm-hmm. take someone's I, life I it, it, gun as a deterrent because think about it like I learned this from um, I was with a company called Damsel on Defense and they sell like pepper sprays and stun guns and stuff and they were telling us like people make the mistake of putting their, their stun gun or their pepper spray in their purse they're like no like have your defense out be alert and watchful because out in the wild they're like the way that animals operate they don't go for the strongest animal in the herd. Like a lion doesn't try to pick off the head of the herd. He looks for the sickly or the ones that are straggling or the babies, the ones that are defenseless. So make yourself assertive, make yourself not a target because it's, you know, I feel like that's, it's on us. It's our responsibility to not tempt people to hurt us. So if we show that we're, we have defense, like I'm carrying my weapon I'm assertive and I'm looking around and I know what's going on. I'm not a target. And maybe I can show them that the people around me aren't targets either because I'm watching out for them too. Yeah. I oftentimes think about like when I put my gun in my safe at night, I'm like, I've thought about it. I'm like, I can't wait for a world where I won't have to carry this gun no more. Really like, I don't like carrying around. I don't like even thinking. I don't even like the thought of it. Of that situation arising. 
I think it's 50-50, but we can get to that here in a little bit. Um. <laughs> That's all perspective, though, I guess, where you are. Um, well, Cracked out is going to attack you no matter what. <laughs> I just say that because, like, I don't know, if somebody if somebody has have purposed in their heart that they're going to do harm, it, it, at that point, if they see your firearm, you are a target. They're going to eliminate you so that Take they know you that you're not going to eliminate them. Yeah. So it That's just I can depends. See. It depends on what the circumstances are. I can bring yeah. to example the individual that in, in Louisville, this was just last month. The guy went straight into the bank with an AR out. He, he was not like, well, I'm just going to pick off easy people. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going in here and I'm going to murder people. That was his goal. So at that point, he was, you know, anybody that had a firearm, he was even shooting at the police. I, I think there, I think there's a police officer that um, is actually still in critical condition right now because of it. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Ain't she like five that point, or something? I think it was one, and then there was one totally freaking savage cop that was like instructing the whole thing. Like he's getting uh, better. He's getting better. He's just now being able to breathe. Just an FYI. Yeah. He, he just got out of the academy, too. It was like his like first two. actual real freaking situation. And Two weeks after getting yeah. out of the academy, that's what happened. But he's doing better. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I like these kind of conversations. Makes you think. We can talk about it more here in a little bit, but Ezekiel 44, 15 through 31 states this. Oh, we're about to be, this is about to go for a long time, too. Uh, no, we're going to zoom through the rest of this. Um, <laughs> no, we can't zoom through this part. Come on now. Um, gracious. 15 to 31. But the Levitical priest descended from Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the Israelites went astray from me, will approach me to serve me. They will stand before me to offer me fat and blood. This is the de- declaration of the Lord God. They are the ones who may enter my sanctuary and draw near to me or to my table to serve me. They will keep my mandate. When they enter the gates of the inner court, they must wear linen garments. They must not have on them anything made of wool when they minister at the gates of the inner court and within it. They must wear linen turbans on their heads and linen undergarments around their waists. They are not to put on anything that makes them sweat. Before they go out to the inner, to the outer court, to the people, they must take off the clothes they have been ministering in, leave them in the holy chambers, and dress in other clothes, so that they do not transmit holiness to the people throughout their clothes. They may not shave their heads or let their hair grow long, but must carefully trim their hair. No priest may drink wine before he enters the inner court. He is not to marry a widow or a divorced woman, but must marry a virgin from the offspring of the house of Israel, or a widow who is the widow of a priest. They must teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and explain to them the difference between the clean and the unclean. In a dispute, they will officiate as judges and decide the case according to my ordinances. They must observe my laws and statutes regarding all my appointed festivals and keep my Sabbaths holy. A priest may not come near a dead person so that he becomes defiled. However, he may defile himself for a father, a mother, a son, a daughter, or brother, or an unmarried sister. After he is cleansed, he is to count off seven days for himself. On the day he goes into the sanctuary, 
into the inner court to minister in the sanctuary, he must present his sin offering. This is the declaration of the Lord God. This will be their inheritance. I am their inheritance. You are to give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. They will eat the grain offering, the sin offering, the restitution offering. Everything in Israel that is permanently dedicated to the Lord will belong to them. The best of all the first fruits of every kind and contribution of every kind from all your gifts will belong to the priests. You are to give your first batch of dough to the priest so that a blessing may rest on your homes. The priests may not eat any bird or animal that died naturally or was mauled by wild beasts. This is the millennial reign and the priests are marrying. What? Yep. What? Priests are marrying. Straight nothing and no one. Okay. It's the millennial reign, the priests marrying. I said, yep. So these priests are who? Is it the sons of Zadok? And who are they? The sons of Zadok. Yeah, but who are they? Oh, they mean, this is the millennial reign. You had the people that resurrected. You had some resurrected to eternal life already. They're supposed to serve as judge and priest with, you know, Yeshua. Then we have a priesthood over here that's literally marrying people. We're not supposed to be marrying people in the kingdom. In our new bodies. Maybe clean and unclean. And had the marriage in the house of Israel. Yeah, just say similar laws to what we just read in Leviticus as well. Man, I thought this was striking nerve in somebody. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, so we got two different priesthoods operating. We got one that's. Um, the kingdom, the one that's on the outer, maybe on the outer court or something. You got the Melchizedek priesthood. Ah. Okay, we're getting somewhere now. And then you got the Levites. Yep. So we got two priesthoods operate, huh? Yeah. Just like King David was making sacrifices, but he wasn't in the Levitical priesthood. It's like uh, Abraham when he went to make his ties to Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. Isn't the Zadok priesthood off of David's line? I think it's off of the, this is the Levites, I think. Yeah, it would have been the Levitical lineage. Yeah. There is a debate, though. Um, where is where or whether this is talking about the actual sons of Zadok or you look up the word, uh, it would be ministers of righteousness. Zaduk means righteous. So, 
This is where you get the Melky Zedek, which is Malky Zadok, or King of Righteousness. So, I think the only way this will work, if you're going to say this is the millennial reign, is there's got to be two priesthoods operating. It has to be. Otherwise, or I mean, it could all be one priesthood and you just have one that I, I don't know how it works at that point. But these guys like are definitely mortal people still. These would be people outside of. Well, no, it's inside. This is going to get in the whole tangent. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I just stayed silent. <laughs> Look, I do not have to understand how something works in order to agree with it. <laughs> I, I want to see what Tim has to say. I'm sure Tim's got like a, a whole thing about this. No, oh, I'm not even All right, well, I guess what I guess you move on. What priesthood was Joseph from? He was from Joseph? the line. He was from the line that God told him. God told the man that no more priests will come from his line. Remember that. He said, "What? Say it again, Miss Tammy." You remember the man in the Old Testament where he did something wrong and God told him that no more priests would come from his line? I'm not sure. Um, I, don't, I don't remember that. I'm not saying it's not there. I just don't remember. That's the same line of Joseph. Mary and Joseph. Mm -hmm. Joseph was from that same line. That God said a priest would not be part of no more. It's how he's restoring it back for his kingdom. That's the way I see it. Hmm. Okay. I got. I, I still got a lot to do in studying the land rain because obviously there's lots of questions I still have about it. No, what about this? What about um, those the thousand year reign? Would wouldn't they still be marrying? Oh, this goes to what I was asking the preterist. There will still be marrying going. That's what I'm saying. I think there's. Right, th th that's what I'm saying. They'll yeah. still be marrying, but once we get after that thousand year reign. Won't we all just be brothers and sisters? We shouldn't exist. If you're a preterist here, we shouldn't exist. Oh, goodness. <laughs> the math don't work. Math don't work. Then, then there's another. I'm sorry, Michael. Go no, ahead. You go ahead, man. Yeah. I, I mean, then there's. Oh, no, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm setting up. You have the floor, Miss Tammy. Yes, Miss Tammy. Will you Google that for me, Dustin? 
Uh, yeah. What was it again? It was where God told a certain man in the Old Testament that he would no longer carry the priest's line. And it's the same line that Joseph was from. While he's Googling that, I'm going to talk crazy for a second. Then there's another theory that could be out there, I guess, would be the people that are resurrected, could they still be having kids until the end? After a thousand years is up? I don't think so, but I mean, possibility maybe? Well, Yeshua said that in the resurrection, there'll be no more giving and taking in marriage. It will be made okay. like the angels. So yeah. once you're resurrected, you have your glorified body. So then you're made you like an angel. Yeah. So you're not supposed to be doing the thing. Right. So that's, that's my whole thing. So that you have these people that are ministering. They're part of the priesthood. And they're still marrying. So these are mortals. That's that's my whole, this has been my take on it. And you have the immortals, which would be the saints that are resurrected in the first resurrection where the second death has no hold on them. So I've always thought. Um, I didn't realize until like, I guess sometime like towards the end of last year that there was actually mortals in Ezekiel 44 and 45 and stuff that are still having... They were still marrying and stuff like that. I didn't realize that. So that's us right now. Like we're the dogs outside the kingdom. Right, but but my thing is, this is actually <laughs> this is supposed to be. I was joking. Oh, I was like, okay. I was also, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was with a predator's guy when I was like, "Where is the kingdom at now?" And why can't oh, we get oh, it? He was okay. talking about like right, the dogs. He read the verse about the dogs and stuff being outside the kingdom. I'm like, I'm not a dog or a sorcerer or none of those things. She's like, bro, kingdom? you're outside the kingdom too. He's like, I'm like, how you get in? And he was like, you just believe and it's spiritual. I'm like, boy. Well, he, he's, <laughs> he's got some good drugs. Anyways. Um. <laughs> Y'all predators got me on another level. <laughs> <laughs> my father-in-law is one of these people I can't do it Ugh. I can't do it either I don't know I'm not going to get y'all we'll have to guess because it's another time I'm, I'm going to stop because it can get deep real fast I might have to look this up here in a little while because I'm not finding nothing Miss um, Tammy if you if if Dust can't find it soon, he's like, maybe you can look it up um, in your spare time and bring it to us, so we can see it. I, I would, like, to, I'd like to, I'd like to see that verse. I don't remember asking this too, um, but I will, Michael. Yeah, I'd like to see that too. I will. Yeah, maybe that's what we need to do on, on one of our remnant heart podcast nights is talk about Leon Ray and see what everyone's thoughts are. Oh, Adi. Um, well, say what? The ones that receive their immortal body, right? 
Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be part of the first resurrection, the first fruits? Or the first resurrection? You said the ones that get their immortal body? Yeah. Yeah, you had the, the I would believe that this is what I see it is you have the ones for the first resurrection, the first fruits. Um, they get, you know, their glorified moral body, whatever. And then you have the people outside the kingdom, right? That are the morals still because they're survivors. And obviously there's going to be people still populating the earth after the great day, you know, after the wrath comes down. And then after the thousand years is up, you have Satan released again for, I guess you could say the last testing moment. And then he's, then Satan's destroyed, and then the books are open. Finally, all the people come out of the grave. Final judgment happens, and then some people are thrown like fire, and some people get eternal life, and then it's over. Hmm. That's what I see it in my mind. That's where I understand it. You mean it just begins for all the rest of us? Say what? It just begins. It's the kingdom, man. No, no, I'm saying it's the, it's the end of, like, of uh, yeah, I'm saying it's the end of this story. I don't know what happens after that. We just live forever. I don't know what the thought, I don't know if he's going to have like awesome parties every weekend for oh, us. Or I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if he's got like a whole nother landmass outside the ice walls. I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on after that. I'm just, I'm just here along for the ride. The Jesus party. Well, it says Jesus right here. <laughs> Hey, it says right here in Isaiah 66, it says, Then they shall bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of all the nations upon horses and chariots and litters and upon mules and swift beasts to my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel, clean vessel into the house of the Lord. And I will also take of them for priests and for Levites. So he it is going to be people in the millennial reign mm-hmm. that are bodies. I guess it but kind I of could be like this. Okay, I'm sorry, Dad. But I believe that the the ones in Revelation 20, where it says, um, okay, so it says, but the rest of the dead, hold on a second. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received a mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that had part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death, which is the lake of fire, hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of his Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. So they're just the ones that were that went through persecution at the end? I don't know. I don't I don't like. I haven't figured that one out yet because I'm like, is it just the ones for persecution? Like, is Abraham and them going to be up in there or are they not coming back until, you know, or, or like us, like right now, if we died, you know, we're one of the people that are chosen to go into the kingdom. Do we not go in until the second resurrection? Which I don't care. I mean, whatever the father wants, but I'm just saying. Um, and then just the ones that went through the tribulation 
and were murder martyr for their faith. Because I wanted that too. But then you have that in Daniel twelve two where it talks about Michael standing up for his people in a great time of tribulation, and the some it says some will be raised to everlasting life, some to everlasting contempt and shame. So which one, like, which is that? The second death resurrection? You know, like the great white throne judgment? That's how I've always understood it. Like, there's the resurrection of the saints mm -hmm. who get to go be the priests. Mm -hmm. And and then there's the resurrection of everybody that comes up in the great white throne judgment at the end. You know? Yeah. Couldn't tell you. I don't either. It's interesting. I, I, it's some things I've been trying to wrap my head around lately, and I just, I haven't, I haven't gone deep into it yet, but just reading certain passages and revelations, I'm like, well, is it people like all the saints right now going up? I don't know. I'm like, I, I haven't figured it out. But... Maybe, maybe huh? in, maybe in the, the eighth, you know, the, or the eighth day or the, the great white throne judgment, maybe after that, nobody's given in marriage, you know, or maybe these priests right here aren't given in marriage. I, I don't know. I don't know either. That's some stuff I haven't figured out yet. I know there's a thousand year millennial reign where Satan's locked up. So that don't work for Frederick because nowhere in history uh, has there ever been a thousand years. Eschatology is not my, it's not my strong suit. Not sure. It. It's not. I'm not. I, I like more focusing on the here and now versus, you know, the later, latter half. It's always been for me at least. But I know some people are really good at eschatology and some people aren't. I've never been interested in it until, um, interestingly enough, like coming into Torah, I finally read Revelations because I was always scared of it to begin with. Mm -hmm. um and then sean's babylon series like really intrigued me and i watched that and that's now i'm doing the 42 series and that's it's the way he lays it out um like makes so much sense and like he's really good at giving all the details um that but that but, might be his niche i mean his, yeah. his thing might be the the you know the eschatology thing i mean he pulled for me, the understanding is that the resurrection happens when the when Yeshua comes back, the resurrection happens, and then you have the kingdom here, but then you do have the survivors and people outside the kingdom. Um mm -hmm. that's for the thousand years, and they the ones outside the kingdom are like giving and taking in marriage and they're having babies and all that still. Um, then uh Satan's unleashed. Um, those who are gonna turn away, turn away. Um, then great throne judgment, you know, people who are tossed into the fire, tossed in the fire, and then Jesus party for the rest of yeah, ever. I like Jesus party. That's that sounds like <laughs> new thing. Jesus party. I mean, they. Well, what that, are you doing for forever? Jesus party. <laughs> that, <laughs> that new series with the uh, forty-two. Um, he talks about labyrinths and. They discovered that the city of Jericho was a giant labyrinth. 
Ooh, that makes sense because it's all about the walls yeah. of Jericho coming down. Yeah. Wait, wait, labyrinth. Wait, wait, wait. What, what's that? Like a maze. Like a maze. Okay. Because remember, it talks about the walls of Jericho falling. Yeah. Yeah. Jericho you just gotta, walls. You just gotta watch that series. It's pretty cool because they're showing all these different cities. There's nothing okay. There's nothing new under the sun. What they were doing right. five thousand years ago, they're still doing today. You know, the owl in Planned Parenthood—that's Moloch. They're still sacrificing the children. They just—they just remarketed it, you know. But they're still doing the same things they were doing back all the way back to the days of Nimrod and before that. They just discovered that the vaccines does change your DNA and the DNA of a pregnant woman or the baby. So I think these people are criminals, to be honest with you. You can actually... Uh, never mind. I'll, I'll tell you all about that later. I'm not gonna, I know Dustin's but, probably like raging behind the mic sorry, right now. Sorry, man. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it's a good series to watch. It's, it's just the same thing they were doing 5,000 years ago, they're still doing today. It's never changed. And Sean puts that in a good perspective in modern times so that you could see it. Because without somebody, if he never showed me that stuff, I'd be like, what? This guy freaking talking about, you know? But then when you start looking at things and you start noticing things, you're like, oh, my goodness. He's right. So if you get a chance, check out that series. It's a good one. Sorry, Dustin. Dustin's like, I left. Is everybody ready? <laughs> I'm not going to stop you anymore. I'm just going to listen to you read now. Sorry, buddy. Mike has started that whole thing. We have so much. Okay. No, I don't think Mike has started all that. <clears throat> well, since we're still in Ezekiel, I'm going to read Ezekiel 17, 23. Um, I will plant it on Israel's high mountain so that it may bear branches, produce fruit, and become a majestic cedar. Birds of every kind will nest under it, taking shelter in the shade of its branches. That goes with Ezekiel 31 6. We'll read that real quick. It says, All the birds of the sky nested in its branches, and all the animals of the field gave birth beneath, beneath its bows. All the great nations lived in its shade. Then we'll read Daniel 4 12. which states uh, its leaves were beautiful, its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the air lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. Then we're going to read Isaiah 27, and then we'll go to the New Testament. Isaiah 27, 
or Isaiah 27, 12, and 13 states this. On that day, the Lord will thresh grain from the Euphrates River as far as the Wadi of Egypt, and you Israelites will be gathered one by one. On that day, a great trumpet will be blown, and those lost in the land of Assyria will come, as well as those dispersed in the land of Egypt. And they will worship the Lord at Jerusalem on the holy mountain. We'll go to Matthew 13, 24. Um, this is parable of the wheat. Wheat and the tares, it says, he presented another, another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. Landowner's slaves came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go and gather them up? No, the slaves, uh, or <laughs> the slaves asked him. No, he said, when you gather up the weeds... You might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in, this, in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the vegetables and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread through all of it. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he would not speak anything to them without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundations of the world. Then he dismissed the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain the parable of weeds, of the weeds in the field to us. He replied, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the son of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. That's sun, S-U-N. Anyone who has ears should listen. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found in a, and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish. And when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw out the worthless ones. 
So it will be so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So I have a question. Doesn't that sound like so the rapture thing of like how they think everyone's gonna come like that the righteous people will be like just taken away and the unrighteous will be left behind. It seems kind of opposite in that. That the bad get taken out and the good are left. I agree with that. <laughs> it's always seems kind of backwards. Are they thrown in the lake of fire? That one part says it, um, that they are. Well, it says that well, they're... It was two parts that talked about how they were going to be rounded up and thrown in the fire. One well, was in talk... reference yeah, to like, the said... wheat and tear. It says that place yeah, of weeping... It says that place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does that mean they're destroyed? Or... This is just a theory. Or is it those people that he turns to and looks at him and says, turn away from me, you work as a lawlessness. I never knew you. And they're they're like, oh, what, we didn't get in. You know what I'm saying? In the outer darkness. They're in the outer darkness. Because it says they're in the outer darkness. And there's also those people in Isaiah 2, 3 that say, come, let's go up to the mountain Lord so he can teach us his ways. Maybe it's those people. Maybe they're not destroyed. Because I, I think there's a big difference between wicked people and deceived people. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, a, there's people that want to destroy you. They want to poison you. They want you to get cancer. They want your kids to get cancer. They they hate you. They hate God. But then there's these people, just religions that are just deceived. Nobody in here has the, we don't have the whole truth. I'm trying to figure it out. Same with every other religion out there in the world. Yeah, none of us have the full truth in here. And like even people in Judaism, people in Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists and Baptists and Presbyterians. I mean, you can just keep on going on, you know. So I've always wondered about that, if those are the people. Because, you know, it says his two witnesses that fire will proceed from their mouth and they would devour these people. You know, but, but that's the word coming out of their mouth. And like it says in Jeremiah that I will make I will make my words fire in your mouth and these people would and you would devour them. <laughs> you know, what if it's like, what if the ones who are deceived are the ones that like Yeshua is talking about when he's talking about when you did all these things, at least of these, you did these things for me. But this part where it's talking about, it says that these are the children of the enemy that he sowed amongst the like these are probably the ones who were doing the deceiving and things like that and these are the ones who get the punishment but That's then the ones who are deceived are the ones who are being shown mercy 
and they're being told like you did these things for you did all these things for me and they're like when did we do those things and they're like when you did it for the least of these i have a thought i thought i smelled smoke (laughs) 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 give us the fire be prepared for my delusion of grandeur, step back. No. Uh, okay. Um, the here's just a thought to take a look at. But on the um, the outer darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth, and at that at that time would have been um, registered by a lot of those people as people that were rejected from a wedding ceremony. I know there's some discussion about Israel being the bride or not the bride, or New Jerusalem, the city is the bride, the city and the people, the bride is whatever. But regardless, when Yeshua comes back and talks about the ten wise virgins and the and the and the ten fool, or the five wise, five foolish virgins, when the bridegroom comes back, there is going to be some kind of collective ceremony of the faithful. Okay, and then there's going to be also people who thought they were faithful but we're not, but we're not hostile. So then there, those, so there's going to be a, a, a ceremony and the guests, etc. And And in the ancient models, there was lights all over that area. There would have been kind of like the festival lights. So you, you have the, the light area where everybody was congregated. They were invited. They had their garments on. Their garments were pressed and clean. And they were with the king and however that coronation was going on. And then there were the people that wanted to get in, but were not. They were cast out into the darkness of the outer area, which could be symbolic and literal, but whatever. And those people would be weeping and gnashing their teeth like, oh, I wanted to be in there. Like, you know, like you're grinding your teeth and stuff like that. And those could be like, um, how do you say, the Gentile, um, uh not to get bogged down in a term, but ever what the people that were not faithful and perfect, i.e. perfect meaning having integrity, meaning they handled their mistakes with repentance and tishuva, which would be a relational aspect of growing in faith and favor, grace, etc. So those would be also like the Gentiles outside in the realm that during the thousand year millennial reign, the people that were faithful, like you say, we don't have all the truth, but we're trying to like, scramble through part you know scraps and bits and bobs and prayer and fasting and convictions and and to understand this stuff and then once we're you know quote unquote glorified or whatever we will be able to go into the nations and teach these people that are left over from all the wars and the the angels coming and cleaning out the area and however that looks with the temple and working with them and teaching them this the sacrificial system however you want to look at it whether whether it's in memory or whether we're talking the the sacrificial system because they're not you know they're just kind of growing into becoming believers and um teaching them how to travel the three times a year and however mechanism that is allowed for because of course there's going to be vast distances to get to jerusalem and etc so they're uh that's i was taught that through a couple of things anyways, as, as a hypothesis of what is going to be happening. There'll be an inter, in, intimate ceremony, the wedding, the wedding guests, et cetera. Then the, th- that would be an area of light and protection. It's kind of like the Sukkot is the temporary version of what would be a permanent thing 
and then the outer people would be frustrated and then there'd be darkness etc but then we would be bringing out the word and everything and light to the world etc for for the millennial reign that's the hypothesis i agree i that the people like the the parable of the virgins i think those are the people that when they go, Lord, Lord, then we cast out demons before money works in your name. He says, Turn away from me. I never knew you workers of lawlessness. But he's not saying, Hey, you're going in like fire. It just means you don't know me yet. That's why you had those people going up in Isaiah 2 3 saying, Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of God Jacob and let him teach, let's, let us let him teach us his ways. You know, that's what I'm, I'm on the same page with you there. Cool. Yeah. I think it's a, I don't think they're destroyed. I just, because God is so, he's, people got to understand, he's so merciful. There's a sin atonement for ignorance. You know, the devil is deceiving people. It says it right there in Revelation 20 that, that he's not going to be able to deceive the nations for a thousand years. So So how long is he? He deceived the whole world. Yeah. How long has he been deceiving us? Since the beginning. Yeah. You know, and that's why everybody just needs to just quit religion and just to start talking. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure everybody like has different theologies and stuff, but mine are always subject to change. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I thought y'all might have heard him. He was like, he looked expensive. <laughs> we forgot his gloves and his hammer and stuff at home. <laughs> so I had to run grab him some. <laughs> it's so great living an hour away from your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What you got, Dustin? Matthew 26. It says, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they could not find any. Even though many false witnesses came forward, finally two who came forward stated, this man said, I can demolish God's sanctuary and rebuild it in three days. The high priest then stood up and said to him, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, By the living God, I place you under oath. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told them. But I tell you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and the coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do you still need witnesses? Look, now you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They answered, He deserves death. Anybody point out the flaw there? What do you say? Can anybody point out the flaw there? I know you can.
we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of what we just read. About the high priest. Leviticus 21. It says, uh, yeah, verse 10 it says, the priest who is the highest, so the high priest among his brothers, who has had the anointing oil poured on his head and has been ordained to wear the garments, must not dishevel his hair or tear his garments. We're going to read that again. Matthew 26, verse 65. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. Has he blasphemed or did you just sin, brother? <laughs> he qualified himself as high priest. He just qualified. He just he just sinned right there. Um yeah. got two more. And then we can go back to all of our fifty thousand rabbit trails. Um first <laughs> Corinthians fifteen twenty through twenty-four states this but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as Adam, for as in, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. Uh, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. I had to read that last little bit. Uh, that's also strike against the Frederick's Craig. Death has not been abolished. Doesn't doesn't be abolished until the lake uh, until the devil's thrown in the lake of fire. Yeah. Also, yeah, jail, which is a literal place that still exists, yeah. is lifted and thrown into the lake of fire. So. Another strike against predators, which Jenny had mentioned to that gentleman too, by the way. <laughs> uh, last thing we have is the seventh trumpet. Revelation eleven fifteen through 18 says, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who were seated before God on their thrones fell face down and worshipped God, saying, We thank you, Lord God, the Almighty, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. And that is the end of the portion. <laughs>